0: Thank you.
1: please rise. I just want to welcome you here. Thank you, body of Christ. We are gathered here to do what we're made to do. Oh, and thank you everybody online. Welcome. As we wait for the kids to come on in. Lord, we are joined here to honor you. We are here to praise you and claim you as our Lord. Jesus, hear our praises and be exalted. We love you. In your name, amen.
0: Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Oh, almighty for entrance. Yes, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadow. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Oh, nothing can stand against the power of our god you shine in the shadow.
1: that I think should be honored. So, uh, everybody please take a seat. If you have previously or currently served in a youth or child ministry, will you please stand up? I know you're there. All <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Twenty-five years ago. There we go. Yeah, we're talking cold or present. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Good. I want to pray for you, Heavenly Father. I thank you for these warriors that you have put on the front line instructing building up and protecting our children lord i thank you for uh, the service that they do and i ask you to strengthen them lord empower them provide them with the peace that they need to get through Um, it's not just when the kids are here but all the preparation father I thank you for their service. I want to honor them as an act of honoring you. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. (laughs) Vanguard, onward and upward. You guys good? Okay. All right, kids, you ready to go? (laughs) We gotta talk about you, so. (laughs) we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places Um, it's not just our kids life uh, but everything that we do as a body all the ministries that work together um, that I feel like is a hedge against a lot of darkness in this world and we're you know we're a light in our community and that's not possible without the uh, cooperation of everybody here so I just want to thank you the the Our tithes and offerings, uh, they are done by, (laughs) she's wonderful, my wife's up there. She's the Wizard of Oz. Um, That's not a good church joke, I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, We have our mailbox. Uh, Outside, you can always drop off your tithes and offerings. Uh, Our giving box out here, um, our website, newlifeastoria.com, and the Church Center app. Uh, That's just the way we receive. Um, Real quick, just want to pray over that. Lord, thank you for providing for this body. Father, I thank you for you know, even if when times have been tight, you have kept us afloat and then you have richly blessed us uh, after that. And Lord, I just, I thank you for every season that you put us through. You are refining us. You are making us more like Jesus. Father, I thank you for the Obedience and the patience of every part of this body, and Lord, I thank you so much for your patience as well. Please bless this tithe, these offerings, receive them in your name, Jesus. Amen. Pastor Andy, please.
2: How are you all? It's good to be together. Do me a favor, would you stand with me, please, for a moment? And I want you to get a little uncomfortable for the moment, just for a moment. And uh, I wanna recognize new people. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to pray. That's all I wanted to do. That's just. Some days you wake up and wish you would have stayed in bed. Yesterday was one of those days, today isn't, so let's go. Father, we are here um, because you are that miracle working God, because you are a God that when we see a mountain, you see a mountain moving, and you don't worry about the things we worry about, and you don't, I I think, often make a big deal out of things we make a big deal out about, uh, about, so just help us to make a big deal of you today. Father, uh, again, as I said last week, this is another um, teaching moment and that is not my, I just like telling people what the Bible says from a preaching standpoint and you know my heart, but sometimes we need to teach truths and I think when we don't teach truths, the preaching falls flat and I don't want that to happen. So just give me your anointing today to be able to help these people understand what you're trying to say from your word so that they may know you in a deeper, way and experience you in a more exciting way i love you and i thank you for this congregation that's gathered together this morning in jesus we pray and all god people said Amen. you may be seated i love the word of god Love, love 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 the word of god i love my wife i love my kids i love the word of god because i love the word of god i love the church Okay, I'm the only one. I love looking at my Bibles that I've read over the years and seeing the grease stains from my hands because I've been in it either after working at the paper mill, like this one is, um, I think a 96. Nope. Yep, nope. (laughs) It's a 2000. We've got marked in here the uh, loss of a teenager that we led to Christ who drowned out in Napa. Got to remember those things, that the gospel does make a difference because she went to meet Jesus Christ because she heard the gospel and trusted Jesus Christ to be her savior. She got that from the word of God. Okay. Thanks, Derek. I got another one over here. This, this is the '96. This has my, um, the message that was preached at my ordination. A minister is marked by his message, his ministry and his master. Amen. Amen. I'm trying to read the rest of it but I can't even read my own handwriting, it's terrible. This is 96, 97. This is the Bible where the word of God really came alive to me when I was laying on the, on the floor of my living room, my family room actually. And I was just reading in Joshua chapter one. And the word of God came alive to me for the first time, really came alive to the place where I realized it was God speaking to me and I wanted to hear what God had to say. So I passionately devoured the word of God over the last 30 years. Because the word of God makes a difference in people's lives. It changes things. To hear from God himself is, is, a, is, a, is an amazing thing to me. That God would speak to me. That God would want to speak to me. And that he would give me a way to do that through his word. I'm trying to figure out where to go. That's why I'm stalling a little bit. Because in a very negative world, the Word of God can become a very positive word. Do you agree with that? Like, I don't see the same things that are on the news in the good news. I just don't see it. But I feel like we haven't done a good job of teaching the simple things like how to read your Bible. We tell you to read your Bible. We talk about reading the Bible. I talk about the Bible. You talk about the Bible. But we don't teach you how to read it. Last few weeks I've been talking about the book of Judges. we're gonna stay there for a while until another day comes. And another day is a series that's coming after before the day before the other, another day. So it's coming. It might be January. But I spoke of the idea where there's a difference between how we approach the word of God. And I use the, the, the two words, exegesis and eisegesis. And exegesis is just approaching the text without any preconceived ideas. I'm approaching the word of God with a clear heart, with a clear mind. And I just want to know what does God say? Eisegesis is how I approach the word of God and I've got preconceived ideas. I already believe this, so I'm just trying to find God agreeing with me. And a lot of us, and a lot of modern day preaching is through eisegesis. Where we're trying to give you the answers to the Bible to answer your questions. Though you've already predetermined what, it, what you believe. Exegesis says, I want to know what you say, Lord. "Jesus says, I'm going to believe what you say if you agree with what I believe. So we read the scriptures, not in my King James verbiage, thus saith the Lord, which is one of my favorite preaching statements in the world. Thus saith the Lord. There's just power behind it. I'm the only one excited about it, so... <laughs> I think this is why consumer Christianity has become so popular. I can worship God my way. I can make God what I want him to be and I can be entertained by God. I don't know if you've read your Bible. If you've read the book of Leviticus which we're going to get into today, it's not one of those books that you go to and say, I can't wait to get into the book of Leviticus. (laughs) It's just rule after rule after law after law after rule after rule. Don't eat this. Don't do this. It's kind of like Being a mother, I guess, because that's all you guys do is whether it's your husband or whether it's your kids, you're always telling us what to do and what not to do. I think that's why I love preaching, because preaching is just simply proclaiming what God says, whether you like it or not. But teaching means that you've got to learn how to get to the point of preaching confidently. Paul said this um, about, a, about, I believe, the time in which we live, and he said in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, and I'm using the NLT today because it's good at a sixth grade reading level, and I want to make sure that I get all of the groups in today. <laughs> don't be offended at that. <laughs> I don't know whether to laugh or cry now. <laughs> First Timothy four one says, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time, some will turn away from the true faith and they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that came from demons. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit told them the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God revealed to them the truth that there's going to come a time, there's going to be a point in time where some are going to turn away from what's true and follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Now, you don't know it's a demon that's teaching you. You just believe the truth because it fits into your eyes of Jesus. You agree with it. It's not what God says because demons aren't going to tell you what God says because then you'll follow God and not them. But there's going to come a point in time where theology will meet meology. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, again out of the NLT. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there'll be some very difficult times. And he's talking to a young pastor and he's saying, in the future, there's going to come a day when it's going to be really difficult to do the work of the ministry. It's going to be really difficult to get people to understand what God says because they're going to be so consumed with what they think that they're not going to change because of what God says. Second Timothy three, 2 Timothy 3.2 says, For people will love only themselves and their money. I like throwing that together. I just I, You don't just love yourself, you love your money. And they'll be boastful and proud. I was at a, a Bible study on Tuesday morning. And a question was asked not to me, so I kept my mouth shut. But a question was asked about pride. And they, they were asking if, if pride is a problem today. And I didn't answer because it wasn't, where is, where's Dwayne? Dwayne. I didn't answer because you didn't ask me. So I'm just telling you, you didn't ask me, so I kept my mouth shut. Pride is the number one problem in American Christianity today. Pride being, I can take care of myself. I've got this on my own. I don't need, I really don't need God as much. I, I, need, I need praise. I need pats on the back. I need positive things said about me, even if I'm doing negative things. Pride is a problem. Scoffing at God. Disobedient to their parents. Now that the teenagers are out of the room, we can talk about that for a minute. See, we, we know that disobedience to parents is against the Bible, right? But what it really is, is God's principle of teaching that there's an authority in your life you're supposed to be submissive to. But we're, we're, we don't want our kids to be di- disobedient to us, and yet we'll still be disobedient to authorities that God has placed over us, like your bosses. <laughs> like your pastors. Obey them they have the rule over you, for they watch for your souls and must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. And yet we, we, don't, we, we recognize the disobedience in our kids, but we, want, we, we think we have a right to because we believe that we don't have any authorities over us. We can be d- disrespectful to the authorities of the government, people that God put in place. I'm just saying it's going to happen in the future, but probably not now. Ungrateful. How many of you would be honest and say, I am grateful for what God has done for me in the last week? And I'm sure many of you are, but some of you aren't. I mean, I'm not trying to be mean to you this morning. I'm just trying to say that some of you aren't grateful for what God's given you. Because he might have given you a trial. He might have given you a difficulty. Why? Because he wants to be glorified through whatever you're going through. And he's chosen you to be glorified in. I'm on page one and I've got 10. And I even threw three out. They will consider nothing sacred. You know, there's some things that when I was growing up, we just didn't do. There's just some things that when growing up in a Christian home, we just didn't do. They were sacred. Sundays were sacred. My parents didn't care what was going on in my world as a a young teen. Sundays belonged to God in my family. Oh, my. Amen, baby. I would would wrestle with this, too. I get it. I get it. I want to cry just as much. (laughs) Instead of our lives being Christocentric or or Christ being the center of our lives, we become egocentric. It becomes about us. And we try to fit Christ into my life instead of me fitting into Christ's life. 2 Timothy 3.3 says they will be unloving and unforgiving. Jesus was known for being loving and forgiving. They will slander others and have no self control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This gets way more positive and we're gonna talk about tattoos just to cool you down. (laughs) But you're gonna have to hold on for a bit. There will be a few who wanna live a godly life but it'll be by obeying the word of God, but it'll be few. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, because some will want to, will suffer persecution, meaning it's going to be difficult to be a hardcore follower of Jesus Christ in the future. Not because people are going to tell you that you shouldn't be, but because you're going to be tempted to be more like them than you are to have them be more like Christ. We still want to fit in, don't we? So before we move on to another day, we gotta spend a little time with some more teaching. There's some things, I'll just be honest, that I have, and I'll just confess my failures. I, I have neglected this aspect, believing that you guys should just get some things. And so I'm trying to rectify that. So you, you're gonna get drugged through it all, all of my failures in <laughs> pastoral ministry. It's going to go on before we get to another day. Because I want you to know how to read this book so you can know how to communicate with the God of the heavens. I want you to understand that there's a proper way, a a way to understand the scriptures that makes sense from God's perspective, much less your perspective. And it's called hermeneutics. And hermeneutics is a method of Bible is the method of Bible interpretation. It's how we interpret what God is saying. So let me just give you some basics. The Bible is translated from three primary languages, Aramaic, Greek, and Hebrew. I don't speak Aramaic, Greek, or Hebrew. I have a brother who went to Bible college. And had nothing else to do until he was like 40 years old. So he stayed in school learning how to read Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. And he's really good with that. But he still uses an English-speaking Bible. Because he just can't find anybody to talk to about those things in that language. <laughs> just You just don't go down to the corner coffee shop and start speaking in Aramaic. Or you might actually get shot in, in some of the small towns he lives in. So it's in three different languages. And with those three different languages, there are three different cultures... It is 66 books written approximately by 40 men, written over 4,000 years of human history and downloaded to them through the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 in NLT says, All scripture is inspired by God. And he's useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. It teaches two things, belief and behavior. What more do you need in your life to learn what is true in this world that nothing seems to be true? And then how to live according to that truth. The scripture was inspired by God, given to us to understand what is to believe and what is to be, how to behave. Second Peter, Peter said this in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 20. He said, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that, how the Holy Spirit connects us to that just a little bit today, but we'll talk about it more before we get to another day. So all English Bible translations and all English Bible translators had to navigate this, that the word was written in three different languages, by three different cultures, by six, 66 books, by 40 different men, through 4,000 years of human history, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to bring it into a language that you and I can understand, which is English. The one class that I ignored in high school. (laughs) The one class I didn't pay a lot of attention to because I figured I could speak it well. But see, there's one more thing that you've got to add to understanding the Scriptures before you read it, before you really exegete it, is it requires careful interpretation. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 2. Do we have that one on the wall? You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord God that I command you, God says, you cannot add to it and you cannot take away from it. This is God's word. And we're speaking about what God says. And we're speaking about what God meant. We're speaking about why God meant it. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with him. It's his word. It belongs to him. We can't change it into what we want it to say. We've got to take it from what God says. Proverbs 30, verse 5 through 6 says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. I think he shows up and says, you're wrong. Ananias and Sapphira lied about giving their offering. I think they said they were under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And they didn't lie to God. They lied to the Holy Spirit and God killed them for it. I worry about misinterpreting what God says. Revelation 22:18. Now, Revelation... This passage is really talking about the book of Revelation, not the book of Revelations. Please do not go that way. You're you're already reading your scripture wrong if you think that to be true. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And in the book of Revelation, it speaks to this book specifically, but I believe that it speaks to the whole of the word of God. The writer says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, If anyone adds to them, God would add to him the plagues described in the book. Have you ever read the book of Revelation and seen the plagues? I don't need those problems. (laughs) I got lots of other issues in my life. I don't need what what it says in there added to my life. I mean, I'm starving right now. I couldn't imagine having to never get to eat because I know in an hour and a half, (laughs) <laughs> We're gonna get to eat. If anyone adds to them, God will add them to the place of this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away. Listen, look at this. Look at this warning. God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. And I did not study that out at all because I'm scared to death to find out what it really means. I'm gonna ask someone. I'm going to ask Verlin what that means. I'm going to let him tell me. Because that scares me. God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. We need to exegete that. Because if I exegete it, I could say it says something that it doesn't really say. If I can say what I think my perspective is, what I believe about God And try to place it into that passage of scripture. I can totally change what it's saying. And that might impact my eternal security. That's a warning. And when the men who translated the scriptures into the English language. That was part of their work. Was to make sure that they weren't. Misusing the scriptures. We must approach the word of God. With respect to the God who wrote it. Which is why it's so important to exegete. Not isogee. So how do we interpret the Bible safely and surely. Without getting these bad things happening to us. Because now no one's going to read their Bible at all. They're going to say. I'd, ra- I'd rather be stupid than be dead. Right. So how do we do it. So I'm going to give you eight rules of hermeneutics. And these are. Just things that I learned um, 25 years ago that have been kind of the base of how I come and put together sermons and things like that. So, and it's, you'll find other, it, I, it's not originally with me because I'm not smart enough to come up with eight rules of hermeneutics. So how do we read our Bibles? What's, what's, the, what's rule number one? Definition. Definition. You define the words using a dictionary. Why? Because the average reading level for Americans is 7th and 8th grade reading level. And that's getting worse. There are fewer and fewer people, especially young men who can't read beyond a third grade reading level. And we're asking them to read a book that is written in a reading level far beyond their ability to read. And the King James Version from my study was written with a 12th grade reading level, so that's why most people don't like King James, because it's smarter than you. (laughs) And it forces you to actually take a dictionary out to find out what does this word mean. I think you would do better to read your Bibles in such a way that it it forces you to define what the word means more than just assuming that you already know what it means. Because remember, it was written in three different languages. Amen? Amen. Three different cultures, 66 books by 40 different men, 4,000 years, inspired by the Holy Spirit. The ESV is a 10th grade reading level, the NLT is a 6th grade reading level, and the Message Bible, I think, is a 3rd grade reading level. (laughs) Which I just offended anybody who reads. I'm just telling you, that's what they're saying. So use a dictionary but use a dictionary written about the same time that your Bible was translated. So find out when your Bible was translated and use a dictionary from that day and age. Because even Bibles that were translated in the 70s, like the NIV, I think it was the 70s. Um, you need, the, the language has changed. The etymology of words have changed over time. What used to mean one thing can mean something completely different. For my King James, I have an 1828 Webster's Dictionary. 1820, why? Because words were different in 1820. They actually spoke English. Whatever we're speaking now. Cool used to be cold, but now it means popular. So the scripture teaches that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. That was the most popular time to walk with God.
0: <laughs>
2: it's not what it means. And I know none of you would make that mistake, but it would be easy to do so if you don't know the definition of the word. Because there's some words you think you know that you don't know, that you just need to find out what does it mean. The second second rule is the rule of usage. Who was the scripture originally written to, by, and for? The Old Testament was written to the Jews. There's things we can learn from it, we can grow from, we can, we can learn principles, practices of God, we can learn who God is and what God does. But the Old Testament was written to the Jewish people, about the Jewish people, for the Jewish people. And I don't know how many of you in this room are Jews. Maybe some of you got some Jew in you. The New Testament was written to Christians in a Greco-Roman world. We can still apply the Word of God, but it's through the lens of the original usage. Who is it written to? There's there's some passages in the Gospels that were written to the disciples. There were some that were written to to the the priests. There were some. So you just got to know who's this written, who's this used for? Number three. I can tell you're excited today. Wait till we get to tattoos. Just get there. And the third rule is rule of context. Consider the audience of every passage of scripture. What does every word say about it before and what does every word say about it after? Don't just pull something out of the middle and say, This is what God says. How how would you like it if your kids took what you said in the middle of a conversation? And used it against you. So you got to know what was said before. And what you said. What, what if your wife did that? If she didn't listen to what you said before, she only listened to the one thing you said in the middle that was stupid. <laughs> the one dumb thing that you shouldn't have said. That you, wish you you said everything good up here, and you said everything good down here. And then you said something stupid in the middle. Context. 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 What is it talking about? Who is it talking to? Rule uh, historical background, the rule of historical background. You got to know what were the sociological, archeological, and psychological norms of the day. To the scripture, you must remove our background and, and apply the background of the day. What was going on in that time for God to say what he said? It might be applicable, it might not be applicable. You don't know until you study the history. And I, I don't like this for much Bible study, but Google the history of the book of Judges, and you'll find all sorts of stuff written about the history. History, history is easy to, to find out, but you need to know the historical background. What was going on in the day when God read, wrote what he wrote? I think there's a passage in, in the New Testament where Jesus, they talked about a tower that fell, I think the Tower of Siloam, fell. And if you don't know the historical background behind it, all you're thinking is God's mean drops towers on people. <laughs> Find the historical background. Number five, rule of logic. And this is not what you think, because most people, that's how you approach the Bible from an eisegesis standpoint, is you approach it as this is logical to me. This must be what the word of God, this must be what God meant. And let me just read a scripture to you. Isaiah 558 My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, God says. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. My thoughts, God says, are nothing like your thoughts. You think you know, but my thoughts aren't like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God doesn't think logically the way that we think logic. We read the Old Testament we see God doing all this horrible stuff to people. We think, well, that doesn't make sense that God is the God of love, but this happens. Well, God's also the God of justice and righteousness and holiness. But because you don't think that way, you think that God is wrong. Sometimes the word of God seems to contradict itself. Because it doesn't make sense to you. And you get confused by what it says, but contradictions in scriptures comes from my confusion, not the confusion of the Word of God. God's word isn't wrong. See we just don't understand it. Can I just tell you something i this will surprise you. I don't know everything about the Bible. I'm really close I don't know, and I've been studying this thing for a living for twenty five years. I mean that's what. Part of what you pay me to do is to read and study the scriptures. See, God's word always makes sense when we view things God-word. When you view things from God's perspective and through God's logic, it'll make sense to you. But it's not going to make sense to you if you're looking at it from your perspective. See, is this not logical? When you're reading the scriptures, that you read it from God's perspective, not your own? That what's logical to him may not be logical to us? See, if we're reading God's word and seeing through the mind of God, not your own. And this is where scripture gets dangerous, is because we start thinking, I think this, but that's not logical to God. 1 Corinthians 2.14, we're gonna read this again, but, but the people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things because we have the mind of Christ. This is gonna become important here in just a minute. But there's people who can't understand what the scripture says, and it doesn't make any sense to them. It's because you're a natural man. You don't have the spirit of God indwelling you to help you with that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But God's word doesn't make sense to you because you don't have the spirit of God helping you to make sense of what God says. God's trying to teach you from himself what the scriptures say. It's illogical to take God's logic and assume that it's logical to us be, that we're right. God's logic is what, God, what makes sense to God, not what makes sense to us. Number six, the rule of precedence. And all this means is what is the meaning throughout scriptures? What does it, say, what does it teach before and what does it say after? The, what's the historical, historically been the interpretation of the word? That's another way we can look at it. It seems like we live in a generation that loves to come up with a new thing. We like to come up with something new in the Bible. And you know, there's been people preaching this thing for over 2,000 years, longer than that, but really, we're just talking about the last 2,000 years. And we keep thinking somebody comes up with something new, it's something from God. No, it's just something from man. They've come up and you think it's new. What is the scripture teaching? The rule of unity, number seven. This is saying nothing more than what scripture defining itself throughout scripture. The scripture will teach it's itself, it, it'll tell its own truth. You don't need to come up with something new. You just need to find out what does the scripture say about this subject? What, we're, what are we interpreting? Whatever fits in with the rest of scriptures. This is, this is easy for me to, to explain when it comes to the Trinity. In the book of Genesis you'll find the Father, you'll find the Son, you'll find the Holy Spirit. Through the rest of the Old Testament you'll find the Father, you'll find the Son, you'll find the Holy Spirit. They are not any different in the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the Old Testament. They are the same the way they are, the way they're written. When you go to the Gospels you see the Father, you see the Son, you see the Holy Spirit. They don't change. Just because you go from the Old Testament written to the Jews to the New Testament written to the Gentiles or the Christians. You look at the, the epistles and you see the Father, you see the Son, you see the Holy Spirit. They don't change. The Holy Spirit is no different in the New Testament than He is in the Old Testament. He's got different things He does, but He Himself is not different. There's a unity in the biblical teaching. I could talk about the, the um, throw in the, a, a sub law, which is a law of first mention. We're in Genesis chapter one, where the Bible talks about God creating grass, and grass is an herb that yields seed. Throughout the Scriptures, grass is never marijuana. See that, that the uncomfortable ones are the ones I worry about. <laughs> grass is always a, a, an herb that yields seed. It's, it's green. It's luscious. The Bible tells us what it is, and it's that throughout the Scriptures. the rule of inference. This is simply a truth reasonably applied from another truth or fact. It's a logical sequence to a logical consequence. I'm gonna make it even simpler for you. This is, this is nothing more than what the Bible says is what it says. I think it's in First Thessalonians chapter five and verse something, where it says pray without ceasing, I think it's 16, pray without ceasing. I don't need to do a deep dive into that study. Well, that means is we should always be in a in a place of prayer. I don't need to really break a whole lot down on that passage of scripture. God wants us to constantly be in communication with Him from a prayer standpoint. Pray without ceasing. It infers in the passage what we're supposed to be doing. This doesn't require anything but obedience. So I taught you all those things, and some of you are like, it's not really deep, but it's different. Now, these eight things, you don't have to, when you study the Bible, you don't have to follow them one to eight. That's not how it's lined up, because sometimes you don't have a word to define. You have a principle that you're trying to define, and so that's not going to line up if you try to figure out a word, but you can't define it. So you go to the second one. Or the third one or the fourth one. So let's, let's do a study. I had two studies that I did. One of them was going to be on, it actually started out with, should women wear dresses in church? <laughs> you laugh uncomfortably, but I was raised in the Independent Fundamental Baptist Church that taught that. Yeah. And I can give you the scripture that teaches it. It ended up being about gender. But I didn't want to take the time to do that one today because I thought it was more fun to talk about tattoos. So let me ask you a question. Are tattoos sinful? So here's what I wanna do. And I want you to be honest. How many of you were raised to believe that tattoos were sinful? Lift them up. You were raised tattoos. How many of you who have your hands raised have to? No.
0: <laughs>
2: I don't care. How many of you were raised to believe the tattoos were okay? How much of that is based upon what the culture taught versus what the Bible taught? See, a lot of you that are in agreement that tattoos aren't sinful, were probably more, your belief system is based probably more on the culture that you were raised in than what the Word of God says. That's not saying you're wrong, I'm just saying that that's probably where it is. And the same thing with those of you that are against it, your culture was probably based upon Christianity saying that it's wrong, or your parents saying it was wrong, or your community saying it was wrong, or some preacher saying it was wrong. And so you eisegete the passage of scripture based upon what you predetermined your belief system is. But how many of you, and don't raise your hands to this, but how many of you have really studied that out to find out what God said? Most of us haven't. Are tattoos sinful? Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 28 in the NLT. Do not cut your bodies for the dead, do not mark your skin with tattoos. I am the Lord. I just made half of you really (laughs) upset, (laughs) and I made the other half of you really happy. I told my kids don't get tattoos that they're sinful and this is the passage that I use to prove it. (laughs) I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying I'm gonna approach it and say, what does God say in this passage? What is he trying to say? So we're gonna use the laws of hermeneutics to determine to the best of our ability what the scripture teaches. So we approach this with eisegesis, we view this passage through the lens of what we've already predetermined in our belief system. You've already predetermined it. It's either sinful or it's not. So let's look at what's the definition. The definition, and I, I did a deep dive in the definition and it's real simple. A tattoo is a permanent imprint made on the skin of the body. And you're all saying, I know that. I know that. But now we have evidence that that's what it is. It's not just you making a word up saying that's what it is. This is what he's talking about in this passage of scripture. Let's look at the rule of usage. Who is it written to? The Jews recently freed from Egyptian influence and were currently influenced by pagan belief systems. So the people that it was written to, who who it was used for, were people who came out of Egyptian influence Which was the influence of the word? Now, don't when I teach this, don't go taking to places I'm not taking it. You hang on, because y'all gonna find out y'all wrong. What's the rule of context? If you read above the passage and below the passage in Leviticus chapter 19, it's a grouping of laws to ensure separation from pagan practices. Verses 26 through 31. So I'm just going to, I just, I summarized what they weren't supposed to be around. Don't eat anything with blood. That was a pagan cult ceremony, so don't eat anything with blood. Those of you that like your hamburgers rare, you might as well get a tattoo because you're doing the same thing. (laughs) Just just get it over, just get it done. Because it's the same thing according to scripture. Don't mess around with astrology. Don't mess around with astrology. That's one of the other verses. Um, don't have bad hairstyles. <laughs> That's really what it's saying. is Don't have a hairstyle similar to the people of the world. So, mullets. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> so we can do a study on mullets later, but right now we're working on this. Um... Don't memorialize the dead on your body. That was what the marking was. Don't memorialize the dead on your body. Honor God, I'm sorry, Give your chil- don't give your children over to false religions. That was saying don't give your young daughters into temple prostitution, which was an act of religious fervor that they would give their daughters over to prostitution in the temple and they would get praise for it because that's what the culture around them said it was okay. So. I won't do that. Honor God weekly by keeping the Sabbath and honoring the sanctuary with your presence. That's one of the contexts of the text in that whole section of of scripture. Stay away from the occult. In the context of cutting your bodies for the dead, marking your faith, faith with skin and tattoos, there's all these other things saying separate from these things because they don't represent God. Now, don't let that freak you out. We're still saying We've got a long way to go. What's the rule of logic? What does God mean by this? Can you bring that passage back up? What does God mean by this? I lost my place, Sorry. See, to get to this point, you really need to understand rule number five, but I'm gonna say say it, but we're gonna but then we're gonna go on to rule number five. God says don't permanently grieve because he's the Lord. If you really study, don't cut your bodies from the dead, you've studied it out. It would say, Don't permanently grieve. God doesn't want us to think about dead things, God wants us to think about life. Amen? Amen. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Okay, that was free. The rule of historical background. If you study the the history of tattoos at this time, they're a form of pagan rite of two things. It was a rite of mourning. So they would tattoo themselves to remember a dead person and they would always carry about that, that dead person in their bodies or on their bodies. They would also mark themselves up as with pictures of their false gods. And so I believe in this God and it shows on this tattoo so this tattoo says this is a false god to me. Uh, I'm forever gonna permanently mark myself with this god because it's my god. And so that's the historical background. It was used as, it was a meant, meant to remember the dead permanently and it was meant to honor false gods. Rule of precedent, I didn't separate this very well because I was trying to keep my pages short and I didn't, didn't do well. Rule of precedent. This is where interpretation becomes important because historically the word of God has been taught that tattoos are sinful. Yet we don't know if this is true because it can be eisegesis and not exegesis. It can be what we have already predetermined or what our culture has said is okay, not what God says. This, This precedent can often be led by the spirit of man, not by the spirit of God. So in many places the scriptures teach that it's not good to focus on the dead to focus on life. In many places of scriptures, it, it teaches that, that principle, but I didn't have the time to put all the precedents down. So what about the rule of unity? See, this is where I struggle. Because there's positive statements and there's negative statements in the scriptures about tattoos. And by the way, I'm not giving anybody permission to do anything. So don't come back and say, Pastor Andy said it was okay or it was not okay. We're going to work on that part of this. Interpretation in a minute. There's a mark of the beast and a mark of the believer in the scriptures if you study it out. And this is the argument that a lot of people who get tattoos give to me is there's, there's a mark of the believer and it's similar so if I get a cross tattooed on me I'm just saying this is my God. It's not sinful but if I get uh, uh, 666 tattooed on my forehead that's probably not so good. <laughs> Revelation 13 verse 16 says he required everyone speaking of, of I think he's the false prophet. Is that right? Where's, Ken? where's Berlin? Berlin's not paying attention. He's not even listening. <laughs> he says, I've, 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 che- I've checked out of this hours ago. He required everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which is either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, which is the number of man. His number is 666. And so this is talking about humanity. And it's talking about how humanity will be represented. The only people who will be able to buy and sell at that time are those who honor humanity. Who, who do not honor God, but honor man. So there's a, there's a mark. That's not a positive mark. Scripturally. Paul says this. Galatians 6.17, from now on, don't let anybody trouble me with these things, for I bear in my body the scars. Other versions use the word mark for scars, the scars that I show that I belong to Jesus. So he had some marks on his body that were from beatings and stonings and attacks for the gospel's sake. That he said, look at me. I represent Jesus Christ. You can see that I really believe in him. Look at the marks on my body. Deuteronomy 14.1 says, Since you are a people of the Lord your God, never cut yourselves or shave your hair above your foreheads with mullets in mourning for the dead. <laughs> there are both negative and positive references, but the positive references, you got to be careful with. You can't take them out of context. But they can be used to determine whether it's right or wrong. And the rule of inference, it seems on the surface of the, go back to um, 1928. If you read this passage, it seems like it's, "Where are we?" 1928, Leviticus 1928. If you just read it, it simply seems to infer not to mark your skin with tattoos, I'm the Lord. It seems clear. But you gotta take in the rule of usage, the context, the historical background, the rule of unity to see the inference of God. You can't just read it and say that's what it says if there's more to it. Because I wonder how many people who have tattoos got a tattoo to mark in their body who their God really is. I wonder how many people who've gotten tattoos have have marked their bodies to remember uh, somebody who has died in a way to worship them, not just the way to remember them. So to those who believe that tattoos are sinful, you could read that and say, thus saith the Lord, but you haven't studied it out to find out what the rest of the scripture says. You just read it and say, that's cut and dried and simple. And some of you are saying, well, I don't like that. I, 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 don't, I don't believe that to be true. I believe that there's other, and, that, and that's probably true. Both sides are gonna think they're right. Which is why without these eight, with these eight principles are nothing but how to read a book that you don't understand. So you've got to have somebody to help you interpret it that's even deeper than just the eight rules of of hermeneutics. You've got to have the Holy Spirit. If you do not depend on the Holy Spirit, you will not understand God's word. And you make your decisions based upon what the culture says or what you were taught to say, not what God himself is saying to you. So what is God saying to you about tattoos? John chapter 14 verse 26 says, but when the father sends the advocate as my representative, speaking of the Holy Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I've told you. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled. Or be afraid. You can understand what the scripture says on this subject, but you've got to let the Holy Spirit take what you've read and what you've studied and determine what it was meant by it in your heart. When the Spirit of truth comes, John 16, 13, he'll guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. Amen. Second Timothy 3:16. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and what makes us realize what is wrong in our lives and corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do right. It's inspired by God. It's God's inspiration. It's the spirit of God inside of you that will give you the answer to the question that I already asked. What you want is for me to tell you what to believe. What I want is for you to study the Bible for yourself and find out what God says about the subject. Because that's the problem with our Christianity today. You believe what somebody told you to believe or you believe what the world tells you to believe and you're in your whole life because you haven't read it and prayed about it and asked the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you yourself. Which is why false prophets come in and you listen to them and you believe their belief system because you haven't studied it out for yourself. People who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, but they can't understand and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. You've got to have the Spirit of God inside of you to de- decipher what the Word of God is trying to say to you. Is it sinful? to be tattooed. Why don't you set aside what you already believe and find out what the scripture is saying so the spirit can explain to you what he thinks. Otherwise you're just approaching this Bible as a human book and determining information and making decisions based upon what you think it says not what it really says. So, what is the heart of God to me? Turn on the air conditioner because it's getting hot. What is the Spirit of God saying after using these tools and we have biblical interpretation? I believe it's so simple that if Christ is my Savior, I'm supposed to live differently than the world. I think that's what the whole passage is about. We want to break it down to an act. He's trying to break it down to a life. I'm not supposed to believe what the world believes. So I don't care what the world believes. I want to know what does God believe about this subject. But I also don't want to be against what God says being ignorant. Because I've read one passage of scripture and say that's what the Bible says. And you haven't studied it out to find out what he's really saying. And what he's really saying is don't be like the world. For me, Paul said, if, if meat makes me makes a brother to stumble, then I won't eat meat. If me getting a tattoo makes somebody stumble, why do I need a tattoo? I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying for me, if it's gonna make somebody stumble, and I, I've watched all these famous preachers who got their arms tattooed in places so they can show you their guns. And I'm old enough when I do this, now I'm worried that my belly just showed. And you might see my tattoo. It's actually a scar born in this body from a doctor that stabbed me with a very sharp knife. But that also means if I have a tattoo, I can also show what the grace of God looks like. See, we want to condemn people for doing something that we think is wrong or complain about somebody who's, who who wants to say something about what we've done thinking it's right. Instead of realizing that if you, no matter what you do, God's grace should be what's shown. God wanted to show the world that the children of Israel were different, that God was treating them differently and it was gonna be the precursor for Jesus Christ coming into the earth to change the world. We ought to be different than the world. We ought to have more grace. Because I've seen people come into a church with tattoos and I see you look at them and I see it judging them. Do you see that? Pastor, so-and-so's in church. They've got tattoos. You know when you whisper it, you think it's wrong. So tell me about their soul. I can't. Look at their skin. Honestly, who cares? If they're going to die and go to hell without Jesus Christ. You know that because they have tattoos? No, I, know, I don't know that because I haven't asked them the question. Do you know Jesus Christ is your savior? And you know, most people that I've met that are in that position have great stories to tell about how Jesus Christ has changed their life. But we want to sit around and judge them over things that are stupid. We should be different. We shouldn't argue over dumb things. And there's a lot of Christians that argue over dumb Bible things that you have not even studied yet. You have not used the rules of hermeneutics to study what God says, and you have not relied on the Holy Spirit's reference to what he's trying to say to you. Now, maybe that's because you didn't know how to, and this is just a a quick, simple lesson that most of you will probably forget by the time you leave because Kentucky Fried Chicken's calling and it smells good. (laughs) But next time... You who have tattoos judge somebody who doesn't realize that they might determine the scripture to say something different than you. It's not private interpretation. They just haven't been taught that from the scriptures. And if you're judging them for their belief in not being tattooed, you might want to ask yourself, have you studied the Bible? Really studied it out to find out what it says? Did you really speak, speak to the Holy Spirit to find out what he says about the subject? Because you might find out that you're wrong. Might be You're trying to be like the world. You're trying to remember the dead. You're trying to honor false gods. Because your tattoo becomes a false god if you're going to defend it more than you are the word of God. This was fun today. I'm really excited that you guys came. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't bring up the gender one. That would have started out really good with women wearing dresses in church. If you want that one I can bring that in a couple of weeks, but next week's family week, so I had to get this out before Family Week started. Can't talk about tattoos with kids in the room. Study the Bible. And if you say, it doesn't make sense to me, it might be that you don't have the spirit of God indwelling you, you might not be saved. If you can't read the scripture, even at a third grade reading level, you might wanna learn how to read. And I'm not being disrespectful, please. I'm saying there's ways to learn how to read and kind of get your skill up. But if you can't read the message Bible, And I'm not knocking that version. If you can't read it at a third grade reading level, that might be the bigger problem. Or it might be that you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior, so the Spirit of God doesn't indwell you because it doesn't make sense to you. I'm tired of listening to this generation talk about I don't understand the Bible. It's probably a salvation issue, not an issue of the Scriptures. And some of you might say, well, I, I don't understand the deep things of the Bible. It might not be that God wants to reveal it to you yet. He might still be trying to get you to pray without ceasing. He might be trying to get you to show up every Sabbath and every Sunday and worship him. And I just opened up a whole nother box of worms about the word Sabbath. Someone's gonna get their knickers in a bind. I'm gonna preach on women wearing dresses in church. You can know this book, but you've gotta know the Savior. And if you know the Savior, you have the Spirit of God indwelling you and he'll help you to know what's true and what's not. I know you're still wondering, what do I really believe about this passage? You study it, you pray about it, and then come talk to me. You do that. Stop looking for everyone else to give you the answers to what the scripture teaches. You study to show yourself approved unto God a workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You can do it. It's not hard. It takes time. It takes effort. But you're talking about the voice of God speaking to you. You're talking about God revealing himself to you through his word. You're talking about God who wants you to know him. He wants you to know how to do right. Don't you like to know how to do right? Don't you like to know that God is pleased with you? This book teaches you how to do right, but you got to read it and you got to do more than just glance over it. You've got to study to show yourself approved unto God. Workman needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I'm, I'm gonna hate to, I would hate to see you guys get to heaven and get rebuked because I didn't teach you how to read the book. it's as simple as the eight rules but without the Holy Spirit it's just another book to you I want it to be more than that I want this thing to come alive because it is alive I want this to become so real to you that you can hear God's voice knowing what is true and what is not. There's a lot of aspects of Christianity that we haven't even touched on because we don't have an educated group to be able to take you there. That's not a knock on you, that's a knock on me. I have not done my due diligence in making sure that I teach you the truths of the scriptures that I should in ways that you can understand it. So I don't want you going home with your tail between your legs saying, Pastor Andy never taught me about tattoos. I taught you how to find out for yourself today. And then teach your children those things. But don't just tell them the Bible says the tattoos are wrong. Teach them what you believe the scripture is really teaching. And then teach them how to read the Bible so they can either prove you right or wrong which if they're reading the scriptures the same way you're reading the scriptures, is gonna prove that you're right. Wouldn't it be nice to be a parent and be right once in a while? (laughs) Come on now. Get into arguments with your spouse and be right over the scriptures. My wife and I used to play um, a Bible trivia game. And it was easy because it was I said Jesus. And I won all the time. Because I wasn't gonna lose and then she got smarter than me and she started reading her bible differently. She developed this passionate love of the word of god. And all i had was a bunch of knowledge. She had love. She fell in love with the word of god because she fell in love with the god of the word. And the holy spirit revealed to her what the scriptures taught about love and life. Don't you want that? Don't you want that? Let's stand and we'll pray and we'll go home. I'm late again today. apologize to the children's ministry workers for me. Say, Pastor Andy went long. It's his fault. We're tired. We're bored. We're grumpy. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father. Father, I chose a subject that I knew wasn't going to give clarity because I want them to get clarity from you. I don't want them just to believe my opinions on what the scripture says. I want them to believe what you say because you are more important than me. I want them to trust your word in such a way that they will live their lives by faith. Not in what they think you say, but what they know you said. I want them to so passionately fall in love with you you, that they will not stay away from the word of God. And they'll develop this deep relationship with the Holy Spirit where you continually guide them into truth, more truth and more truth and more truth. And every step of truth they take or receive, they can take a step of faith. Holy Spirit, we need you today. And if there's somebody in the room that just can't read their Bible, that might be that they don't have the spirit of God indwelling them. In fact, it probably is. So Father, if they need you today, let them get enough boldness to come and say, I'm struggling to read the word of God, tell me about Jesus. But those of us who know Jesus should know this book because in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. You taught us that Jesus Christ is the Word. We want to know you. Encourage our hearts. We love you. As we leave this place, let us know more about you. And Jesus, we pray in all God's.